How are y'all this morning? All right, we're going we're gonna to get started. Uh, Pastor Peter will be teaching this morning, but I, uh, I'm going to start us off and uh, I'm going to tie up a little bit of what we discussed last week, if that's, if that's okay with you. Does that work? All right, we feeling okay this morning? There's no notes. This is, um, this is going to be an off-the-cuff. There are, there are notes for Pastor Peter, but there's not going to be any notes for, for my portion this morning. Yeah, well, you told me not to bring any notes. I did bring them, but I'm not going to look at them. That's all right. All right, that's true. That's true. Okay, so, so last week we finished up our section on the doctrine of the Trinity, working through the person of God. And at the very end of the talk last week, I uh, gave you some insight into an argument that, an argument might be strong, but a discussion that my wife and I had, and I, I told her that God in his nature is not merciful. Now, I remember the looks on your faces, y'all did not like that statement any more than my wife didn't like that statement. And so I, I told you that she was thinking, who can I text to tell on my heretical husband? So in conversations with a few of you this week, and in conversations with Pastor Peter, I thought it might be helpful to work that thought out a little bit more uh, outside of the five minutes that we just dropped on you guys at the end of last week, if, if that works. Is that okay? Okay. So... I still stand behind the statement that God in his nature is not merciful. I understand that this sounds a little funny. Let me work out some of the words that I, I, I'm using there and see if it can bring some, hopefully, some clarity. And then after, I'm going to open it up to you guys for, for any questions on this, because I, I really want to make sure that this lands. Taking us back a few weeks, I, I, one of the last times I spoke, I put on the board that God is both transcendent and personal. Do we remember that? And so this is helpful because it's helpful to think through how to understand the attributes of God. Now, we, we do start to wander into dangerous territory when we start compartmentalizing God's attributes. And I think recognizing that is good, but then also we have to talk about God's attributes, and so we, we do our best to be as careful as we can. So in God being transcendent, and personal, we said that there are certain attributes insofar as he is transcendent that separates him from the rest of his creation. Do you remember that? And I drew uh, very lightly on the board, it wasn't a dark marker, that God exists, then there's a chasm between God and the rest of his creation. And so God and then human beings over here and animals and rocks, and insofar as God is transcendent, we said that he is infinite, he is eternal, he is immutable, he is omnipotent. These are things that we don't see expressed in human beings, right? The other side of the chart, we said that God is personal. And insofar as God is personal, God is loving, he is relational, he is wise, he is good. And it's this aspect of God that God invites man on this side of the chasm over and against the rest of creation. So we see in the image of man, in the image of, of God, the expression in man, that man can also, we see glimpses of goodness and loving and the ability to relate and wisdom, okay? There's another way or aspect to think about the attributes of God. And this is in terms of God's essential attributes and God's relational attributes, okay? 
the essential attributes of God are those that are true of God prior to creation and irrespective of creation. That in the Trinity, God from eternity past has had these essential attributes. What are these essential attributes? God is omnipotent. He is independent of anything. God is loving within the Trinitarian relationship exists. All of these attributes all of the time. Does that make sense? Then there's another aspect of God's attributes or the way that he expresses them, and that is relative to creation. There are things that are true of God only after he has created. And to give a a human example of this, Pastor Peter, in his nature, is a human being. We feel comfortable with that? Pastor Peter, in his nature, we're we're about to bring her into this. Pastor Peter, in his nature, is a human being, but in his nature, he's not a husband. But he is a husband, right? But Pastor Peter could have never been a husband, and he would have always been a human being. Do we see? And so him being a human being is what is essential, what is true of him in his nature. His being a husband is only true of him relative to his relationship with his wife. Does that make sense? We see the same sort of thing in the Godhead. So when I say that mercy, God in his nature is not merciful, what we mean is is that this is an expression of the essential nature of God only after he has created. A way to distinguish this, we can ask, could God fail or could God not be holy? No, he's always holy. Could God not be omnipotent? No, he could not not be omnipotent. But what about mercy? Could God, does God have to be merciful? Does God have to be patient? Does God have to be long-suffering? I mean, if you think about it in terms of the Trinity, prior to creation, who would God be merciful towards? Does God extend mercy toward the Son? Is the Son long-suffering toward the Spirit? Of course not. These are true of God only after his creation in his relationship with human beings. So this is what we mean. So where does mercy come from then? Where is mercy grounded? I said last week that mercy is properly grounded in the love of God. God is eternally loving within the Godhead. And his love turned towards sinners is expressed in mercy. But had God never expressed his mercy towards sinners, wouldn't he still always be eternally loving and good by virtue of who he is? We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, and I read this last week, that God being rich in mercy, why? Because of the great love with which he loved us, even being dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So because of the eternal love of God, he has freely chosen to express his mercy towards sinners. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. But if God didn't give, could we say, well, God's not loving? No, of course, God is still forever loving. The love of God entails that he, it allows him to then be giving. But if we remove the giving, God is still loving. So the love of God is essential to who God is. It's true of his nature. The expression of that love towards sinners is seen in his mercy toward us. Does that make sense? Okay, 
Let me, let me open it up very briefly for any questions for clarity, and then we'll turn it over to Pastor Peter. Any, any questions on that that I can work out a little bit more? It's a good question. Did y'all hear that? Does it call into question the immutability of God because we've drawn a distinction between how God is prior to his creation and God after his creation? It's a good question. Going back to immutability, the definition of immutability, God in his nature cannot change. God in his being cannot change, essential to who he is. But God can freely choose to express himself toward creatures in any way that he wants to or not express himself toward creatures in the essence or nature of who God is remains unchanged. Does that make sense? All right, any additional questions? That's right. That's right. Wrath would be another one of these. God is not in his nature wrathful. But once he creates human beings, his holiness and his justice is seen in its expression of wrath towards sinners in the same way that mercy would be an expression of God's love and probably justice because his mercy is extended because of, his, uh, because of what Christ did. Bertus. That's right. The essence of God is, in in this instance, is his love. He is essentially loving. And whether he created human beings or not would have always essentially been loving. Once he chose to create human beings, he chose to express that love as mercy towards sinners. But had he not expressed that, his nature would have been unchanged. It's a good thought. Yes, sir. What's that? Right, yeah. Because one of the things that kind of played with my mind with the cross is, well, God's all-knowing, so when he created man, he had to know he knew that we were going to fall. So the cross was predestined to show his mercy. So when he created man, he knew that... Christ would have to die. Let me make one more comment about this. Why this is important, because sometimes I, I'll say these things to my wife. She's like, I feel like you're just splitting hairs. Is it really necessary to 
think in this light, and I think that it is because when we understand that mercy is not part of the essence of God, we, we see that he's not obligated to, to do this toward us. And so obligated mercy is not mercy at all, is it? Right, it's the very feature of mercy is that God doesn't have to extend that, but God cannot act contrary to his nature. And so drawing the distinction between what is true of his nature and his free choice in expressing that nature, I think is helpful. The other thing is that when practically, when uh, life is challenging, we're going through hardships or suffering, we can ask a question to God, God, why would you allow this bad thing to happen to me? This is a common question. But understanding the nature of mercy makes us adjust our question to say, God, why would you ever even allow any good thing to happen to me when you don't have to? Why would you ever extend mercy towards me, an undeserving sinner? And so when we see that God didn't have to extend mercy, but in love freely chose to extend mercy toward us, it it rightly aligns our thinking about who God is and who we are. All right. Well, I'm going to call it right there. Thank you guys so much for letting me work that out a little bit more. I hope that was helpful. Joe, welcome Pastor Peter. Thanks for turning up the heat. Now come up. You see how I'm mistreated? Matt, would you mind if I add just a little bit to that? Matt said, and he's correct in saying it, but just want to make sure we understand. God does not have to be merciful to us. When we look at the attributes of God, those attributes which make God, God. So God cannot be God if he's not omnipotent. He cannot be God if he's not whatever, correct? And so there's no need in the Godhead before the creation, even now, where the Father has to be merciful to the Son. In fact, if we thought that, what would we say? Oh, what kind of a God do we have? That the Son has to forbear with the Father's decision. Where the Son is going to be kind in relation to, you understand that. And so there are the active upfront essential qualities of God where he cannot be God without these then in the attribute more I suppose I don't know what I haven't thought it through but the attribute of love is where all this activity is because God has created us to display in us one attribute that will shine more brightly perhaps than all the others and that is his love and so when God in Genesis 1 1 begins to create at that moment he is self obligated within himself according to his divine purpose he obligates himself to move and to act in a particular way you understand this when we take on a job we obligate ourselves to obey 
and work within the context of the job. Correct? We may not do it, but we have made a decision. So now, since God has created, and he says, here's my purpose in creation. What is it? I'm going to make man according to my image. It's going to happen. There's a promise there. It's stated, but there's a promise. So in relation to God's personal commitment to have a people, which he did not have to do that. He did not have to do it. But when he does it, in order to be consistent and truthful within himself, after the fall, can God wipe out man and start all over again? Can he do it? Why? He cannot. Why not? Because Josh, what? He's not keeping his what? Promise. So I've heard people say, you know, well, if God, if Jesus didn't die, we'd all, no, no. If Jesus hadn't died, we wouldn't. John, we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be a creation. Do we see this? Very important because we have to be careful. God is not obligated to us except within the context of his purpose for us. He's not obligated to us in any way or to the creation except within the context of carrying out his eternal purpose in Christ. So, for those whom God has called to be his people, for those whom God has called to be his people, may I repeat the group, for those whom God has called to be his people, do we understand that? That separates that group from every other group. For those people, and I'll say it as carefully as I can, God has obligated himself to be merciful to us. Mercy being that quality which we, outside of the realm of being children of God, we don't deserve. But within the context of being the children of God, God has obligated himself and put us in Christ so that he relates to us as he does to his own son. Therefore, he has obligated himself to be merciful. Do we see that? Am I doing okay on this? Are you with me this morning? It's one of those areas that we have to be very careful about. Yes, you want to make a comment? Go ahead. In Alpha, Frank asked the question, is, is the cross necessary? Must Jesus die? And I think you're working that exactly out. Relative to his nature, no, this was not necessary. Relative to his commitment from eternity past to save sinners, yes. That's right. But then the other part of it is, here we go. His nature is such that he is going to create. Otherwise, he's not going to create contrary to his nature. So it's a real tricky area. You know, I, I, you know what we're trying to do, you should never have asked your wife this question, brother. <clears throat> now, don't ever do this again. <laughs> so if Mike, everybody knows Michael Moore. If Mike 
is going to be well, true to his fatherhood. This mic, not that mic. We have a lot of mics in here, don't we? If this man, this is his daughter, Esperanza, and you say, come on, tell us the name. Hmm? Yeah. How do you say it? You don't say Esperanza, you say Anza. Esperanza. If Mike is going to be true to his obligation as a father, then he must be kind to his daughter. Be patient with his daughter. Are oh, oh, you listening? Be whatever within that context. He has to. Does he have to outside of this young lady being his daughter? And does he have to do that to other people? Not the same way. So, and, and give me a moment. That happens to me. I lost my thought a second. My train. I do this occasionally just to kind of keep people awake. Especially myself. Well, let me go on. So there's a distinction between what God obligates himself to do and what we think he should do. However, even with mercy and kindness every bit of that mercy and kindness and goodness and long suffering and forgiveness and all the other has to do with working its way toward us in us back to the very nature of God himself so God is merciful in relation to causing us in his mercy to experience his essential attribute of love. He's just not mercy just to be merciful. There's a purpose in it. Are there any questions? Anything else? Have we made this more clear or more? have I muddled it? Muddled, muddled it? Okay, no questions. No, school teachers don't get to ask anything. All of you know Gail was a school teacher. So you have to be careful what she'll say. No, uh, don't be careful. I just want to know. Um, it's always bugged me. But anyway, uh, mankind in his own image. So is that the image prior to creation? You mean the image of God? When God is making mankind in his creation, he is making mankind to reflect I believe more than anything else. Well, first of all, mankind to reflect the relational love fellowship that exists among the three persons of the Trinity. He's not making mankind to be immutable, uh, immutable or Im, uh, what word do I want? Omniscient or whatever. But there is the image of God in which man is brought into that relational context. Man does not become a person of God. He becomes a relational... Uh, you know, my mind today isn't with it. I, I don't know why this, is, this happens to me sometimes. Go ahead. 
prior to the fall. All right, no, man, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I would say uh, no, but we see part of who God is expressed in mankind. And so part of that personal aspect of who God is, that he's loving and relational, personal, knowledgeable, wise, relatable, he has in, endowed human beings with those features as expressions of the personal side of who he is. What you don't see expressed in human beings are those transcendent features, his being independent and immutable and so forth. No, no. The, the, in, in relationship with the Trinity, yes. But, yes, in fellowship with the Trinity, but not, not in the same sense at all of the Father, Son, and Spirit's relationship with one another. That is, that is eternal, unbroken, yep. Yeah, he and not to not to splice the words too much. He didn't have to bring us back in, but yes, but but he 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 wanted to, and then relative to his desire to have relationship with sinners, he extended mercy toward us and saved us. Yeah. Thank you. Just remember, everything that God does toward His people, He has obligated Himself to do for us. Okay, He's obligated Himself. Uh, Todd, I forgot your name. L loudly so we can hear you. Yeah, we, we've covered a lot of it, but yes. Yeah. It's, we have to be real, really careful when we talk about these issues because they're, they're still in theological circles. There's always an ongoing discussion about some of the intricacies of these things. Okay. How does the finite grasp it? You're asking me rather than asking your son? This is the daddy and he's not going to ask his own son. This is another mic. Too many mics around here. Yeah. But, but if we have a God that we fully understand, yeah. No, not at all. No, not at all. No, th that's that's a good point, Mike. When we discuss all of this, how can a finite mind embrace? I'm sorry. Understand an infinite God. So there's always going to be these areas of discussion, and I, I agree with you. I wouldn't say it that way. Yes, I like the way you said it this way. But what mostly is important here is that whatever it is that we are discussing, whatever it is, 
it be based in and can be demonstrated clearly enough in the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? The Word of God is the only source. It is the place where God is self-revealing. And if we go outside that, we can do that and have discussions and, and whatever. But all of those must be adequately contained in the Word of God. And so then we come to other issues such as theological terms. The word Trinity, where is that? What page is that in the Bible? It ain't there. What about the word Bible? It isn't there. But there are themes and understandings and teachings and so on. So when you gather these together, you begin to see, wait a minute. From the very beginning in Genesis all the way through to Revelation 22. This God of ours exists and expresses himself in a way that is clearly, really, indicative that he is not a uni, what do you call it, Unitarian, one-person God. But he exists, what? As a Trinitarian God. And we went, we've gone through those verses many times in the past and so on, and it's always good to, to go back and see them again. Rob, good to see you. I'm not sure if all of you know that Rob White sneaked in here. Raise your hand, Rob, Rob let us see you. We haven't seen Rob in years. He has been, been a member of the church years ago, so good to see you. You thought I wouldn't notice, didn't you? Uh, anything else? Anything else? All right, well, what I think I'm going to do in relation to what Matt has done is give every one of you his cell number <laughs> and to say, any time of the day and night, feel free to call him. And if he doesn't answer, I'll give you Katie's phone, as his wife, Katie's phone number. And if we're going to bother her, believe me, she'll make sure he answers the phone. Well, let me just end this way and to start next week. One of the greatest weaknesses, in my opinion, in the church, I don't mean Lakeview Christian Center, although it could be here. And it is here because it's the way we are but in churches is the not the theology of the trinity we're talking about churches that are orthodox okay it's not the theology of the trinity it's the expression of the trinity in the way we teach and preach and speak and for instance and I shared this with Gene the other night. It was just something at the moment the Holy Spirit gave me. Now, why did I just do that? Why did I just do what I just did, Ray? That was a Trinitarian statement. If I just said, you know, the other day I was thinking. And one, two, three. Well, what does that mean to you? What does it mean? 
I was thinking about this, or as I was preparing my notes, I put it together this way. Or I'm, I'm really trying to figure out, do you hear yourself in all those? Are you with me? Now, is that wrong? Is there something wrong with it? No. But where did my thinking come from? Where? From God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, we have a mind and we're supposed to use it. Hmm. We have a mind into which God speaks. We hear. And from my perspective, Tara, it's my thought. Why? Because it is my thought, Ian. It, it is my thought. Oh, you, you, you got it? Everybody with me? It's my thought. I actually thought of that. But not on my own. I thought of it because there is a God who doesn't, and I'm going to say it this way, it's going to sound disrespectful for Linda, but I don't mean it this way. There's a God that, is, that doesn't shut up. He is constantly chatting, speaking to us into our mind. Do you believe this? Yes. I mean, yes, somebody said praise God. Say it louder. I didn't hear you. Thank you. Constantly. So I leave the house. And I'm going somewhere, Steve, obviously, if I leave the house. Hopefully, I'm going somewhere. And as I'm leaving, the thought comes to me. Now, see if anything like this has happened to you. You forgot whatever. Has anybody ever had that come to him? Anybody? Go ahead. Anybody? You forgot something. Okay. Now, Joe, who has told you that? Who has told you? Me. You think you're brilliant enough to know everything? I love you, brother, but you ain't that great, huh? You're doing something, and all of a sudden, you get a thought about the something you're doing. Anybody? Do we, is this us? Who is this? Who is it? It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. If we teach on a regular basis consistently and not reference the source of my thoughts of the content of the sermon or teaching or etc you get it this is spiritual plagiarism I used that term the other day I had never used that term before Brian it was brand new for me and Gene said, oh, that's great. And I realized, I just thought of that. Greg, I, I just thought of it. <laughs> do, you, do you see? Wow. And so and when I do that, who's getting the glory for that? 
I am. I just thought of it. Now, that doesn't mean everything in life you have to, you understand. But there has to be a basic, explicit expression of the Holy Spirit or the Son or the Father or we are spiritual plagiarists. You know what a plagiarist is? One who copies from something and re repeats, you know, okay. One of the biggest weaknesses in the church is that we functionally, not theologically, functionally in the way we speak, the way we think, the way we write, the way we communicate, etc., etc. And think about yourself. Think about teachings and preachings that you hear all the time. How much of it acknowledges the Holy Spirit? How much do you do that? Is that spiritual plagiarism? Is it? Yes. So we need to come to a place where we begin to functionally express, functionally understand that everything God does, is it okay if I repeat that word? What? Everything that God does, all three persons of God are involved Through their presence, one God, but differently. Right? We'll see that. It's impossible for God to do anything unilaterally, according to one person, do anything unilaterally by himself. God cannot do that. He must work in absolute unity. Why? Because he's one God. Every person of the Trinity is fully God in himself, but not by himself. So you see, if the Son of God is totally God by himself, he can act without the Father and the Son. Right, Mike? He, he doesn't need them. But that's impossible. So let's begin, and we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 in the next few weeks. Or 1 to 14, actually, in the next few weeks. Why? Because we just want to give one scriptural basis. There are many. This is perhaps the best one, if you would, that kind of gives, you, gives us a fuller understanding of the Trinity's work. And we're going to see the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit all together, all three together, saving us. Which one should we emphasize? There is no that. Which one does this? Yes. Which one does that? Yes. Which one does the other? Yes. But could we be saved if the Spirit and the Son are not involved? Can we? No. Can we be saved if the Father is involved without the Son? Um, if, if the Son is involved without the Father and the Spirit? You see, you begin to see how it works. So we want to be a truly Trinitarian group.
in order to image God faithfully, we must image him in a way that manifests Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us. And we must, I believe, and firmly convinced of it, we must much more than we ever do, what I've have, that we have been doing, is giving the Holy Spirit the credit, giving God the Father the credit, giving the Son the credit, where that credit is due as far as his leadership at that moment without forgetting the other two. Hmm? Is, am I all right on this? Do you want to add anything to this? Okay. Now, I know that many of you may not be here next week because you're out of town, but if you're in town, please come back and and I want to say this at the end. You don't know, you don't know how much I appreciate. I personally, I just appreciate each one of you. When I say I missed you, I really do mean, Belinda, I missed you. Even you I miss. You know? I do miss you. I, I just feel you're my family. I just, you know, I'm, I'm an old grandpa and here's all my kids. I, I really do miss you. So when I say that, don't become offended or whatever. I'm just telling you. I, I miss most of you. You know? There are a few of you I don't miss as much, but I miss you. <laughs> Rob, do you want to say something quickly? Can't hear you. Yes. And actually, as R.C. Sproul says, you're not a being. Only God is a being. You're a becoming. <laughs> Isn't that good? You really need to go online and look up that teaching. See you next week.